Hello, it's Nick Brown, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease in Childhood. As always, welcome to Rachel A. Becco, our Senior Editor, and time for the September Atoms discussion. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Nick. Good to be here with you. Same to you. So what, what, what do you think about this issue? What themes stood out for you? Well, I think it's all about time. It's a very rich issue. Uh, and, and I think we can look uh, to this edition of ADC through the lens of time. So, for instance, when one asks, what time is it? Uh, when answering that question in a literal way, it actually depends on where you are. And you very ele- elegantly reminded of us that. So, what happened at 10 past 4 p.m. UK time? At that time, it was late evening in Cambodia. There was a baby girl born. In the late afternoon in Zambia, a little girl was rescued from malaria. While in the late morning in Paraguay, a girl's femur fracture surgically aligned. And in the early morning in the US, another girl was about to be diagnosed with leukaemia. So I think you very eloquently showed us that um, having a wider view, even when it's fairly simple, question what time is it? Well, it depends. So let's stay with this worldwide mindset and and discuss Trevor Duke's paper, um, Randomised Trials in Child and Adolescent Health in 2023. Now, Trevor is affiliated with the University of Melbourne, Australia, and the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne, and the University of Papua New Guinea. And he's been doing this yearly review of randomised trials from low and middle income countries for about 20 years now. And we're delighted uh, that this year's review is available in ADC. Now, Nick, I know that has been a key interest for you in many, many years. And what would you say that this review brings to all of us? First of all, I'd, I'd like to say how pleased I am that um, that we've uh, got this paper, which will be, I'm sure, used as a as a reference point. Uh, hasn't previously been available in any any journals. What does it tell us? Well, it it tells us uh, what what's going on, I suppose, in um, for want of a better expression. It's a real labour of love in that um, all registered trials are listed, um, analysed and assessed for key messages, what that means both in the country in which the trial took place and what it means for uh, global health work in general. Um, it tells us also where uh, grant money is being invested um, and um, it gives us a much better overall picture of what's going on than any other source um, I, could, I can possibly think of. I'm delighted to be able to showcase this 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 wonderful piece. So moving slightly laterally, still on the question of time, he's, here's a different way of answering that first question when taken a bit more figuratively, I guess. Uh, Jonathan Coots uh, might say that it's well past time that vaping is addressed in the context of harm to young people and unborn babies. Jonathan and his co-author Ross Langley, both at the Royal Hospital for Children in Glasgow, Scotland, highlight the underappreciated consequences of vaping in children and young people in their viewpoint paper, Toxic and Addictive Effects of Nicotine in Children and Adolescents. Are we sleepwalking? into a public health disaster. 
Rachel, you've recently spoken with Jonathan on the uh, ADC Spotlight podcast. How would you summarise this piece? Yes, well, that's a that's a tricky question uh, to answer, Nick. Really, because um, in a in a very short space of time, uh, the authors have done a, a fabulous job, I think, of focusing on what has currently been underappreciated, at least in the UK. So. I think very clearly both authors state that we need to bear in mind that with vaping, although not necessarily intended so, comes nicotine. And nicotine is highly addictive. And we've got developing brains. So you've got developing brains in young children, even as young at primary school adolescents and potentially also unborn babies if mums vape. It's not so innocuous and I think that we need to heed what it is that these authors authors have to say and maybe be inspired by what the Australians have done. Um, They have a very clearly different take on vaping in the context of uh, child health um, and I think we should uh, should follow that. On the topic of well past time, Dr Vivian Klingmann and co-authors at the University of Dusseldorf, Germany present their paper Acceptability of Multiple Coated Mini Tablets in comparison to syrup in infants and toddlers, a randomised control study. Well, we've been here before. Are tablets okay for um, for young children, can they swallow them? And the answer is yes. Um, and this study, again, uh, to very young children uh, between the age of one and six years, they can safely swallow coated uh, mini tablets, um, and, and some even had to swallow up to 28 of them. So I think uh, here again, it's, it's well past time that um, we uh, heed tablets rather than um, multitude of mills of uh, of syrup um, with all the uh, downsides that come with that. So well past time there. Now, if we think about time um, in a slightly different way, now this is the context of time at the end of life. How do we approach decisions about a, a child's end of life? Uh, and this is a very pertinent question. Um, And this edition um, has three different papers um, under the uh, newly established banner of ethics and law for clinical practice. I think, Nick, this is very timely, if I may say so, a very timely banner. But but before we we discuss these papers, would, would you mind telling us a bit more about the reasons for bringing ethics and law for clinical practice to the fore? Well, that's a good question. I, I, I suppose in, in a very short answer would be because of their, their importance. Um, some uh, readers and listeners will um, have had personal experience, which led, will uh, enable them to appreciate how important this is. For some, it might be a little more um, more distant. And, and, and the reason for... Um, expanding this banner and including ethics is is their importance and which is becoming 
increasingly more prominent. Um, so as many of you will know, Rob Wheeler has been um, uh, writing clinical law for clinical practice articles now for two or three years. And after some discussion, we, um, we've decided to include ethics, which is, um, in essence, different, but with some, uh, a degree of overlap and hoping to create a thought provoking new banner. So, for example, in this issue, we have three papers. The first is by Veronica Nefius at the Centre for Social Politics and Ethics at the University of Manchester, England. She presents her findings in a paper called Can Mediation Avoid Litigation in Conflicts About Medical Treatment for Children? An Analysis of Previous Litigation in England and Wales. been quite a lot of debate about this recently, about the, the, the role of mediation. I'm not going to divulge anything, but I urge you to read this. Claire Bell at UCL London Institute of Child Health and co-authors of Great Ormond Street bring us a thematic analysis in their paper, What is the Impact of High-Profile End-of-Life Disputes on Pediatric Intensive Care Trainees? And Siddharth Vermuri and co-authors at the Royal Children's Hospital Melbourne in Australia present their results in the paper Navigating Two Truths qualitative study of physician-led end-of-life decision-making for children with life-limiting conditions. So here we have three papers um, that deal with the, the very difficult process of a child's end-of-life. They're difficult for the parents, the child obviously, but also healthcare providers and wider society. Now, the basic tenet of course is that children are supposed to die um, and here's where ethics and law for clinical practice is very real. So one paper describes the approach senior clinicians take in speaking with parents, in part to prevent intractable conflict. Uh, another paper describes the role of mediation, or maybe not, uh, in the context of preventing litigation. Um, and one paper reflects on the experiences of trainees when reflecting on high-profile end-of-life cases. In England, there's much interest in this in this area, um, uh, and including the Muffled Council for Bioethics Review on disagreements between parents and treating teams about the care of critical, critically ill children, which should conclude in October of this year. And time will tell how, how this will evolve in England and Wales. And there are, of course, many other jurisdictions, and, and I'd be really interested to see how ethical and law principles are applied in the different parts of the world. So time will tell, but only if you pay attention. Um, and in this ADC edition, there are three papers that have surveillance at their core. Well, I am delighted that by... Um... By chance, really, we have uh, a series of papers from um, the uh, respective paediatric surveillance units in the, in the UK and the BPSU and the, uh, Australia's equivalent, the APSU. Their basic remit is, of course, um, same as when they were established to um, get a feel and perspective for the prevalence or incidence of rare, rare diseases and the formation or the establishment of a robust way of case reporting. In this issue, we have the following. We have a piece on the Pierre Robin sequence in the UK and Ireland, surveillance study by Marie Wright at Great Ormond Street, 
London, vitamin D testing in children and adolescents in Victoria, Australia, a provocative piece on the epidemic of testing um, and um, what happens after testing or what does not happen. And finally, uh, childhood and adolescent Sydenham's career in the Republic of Ireland, BPS UCAPSS surveillance study by Eva Wooding at the University of Exeter Medical School in England and co-authors. Particularly uh, relevant given the uh, explosion in group A streptococcal invasive disease recently. And although uh, Sydenham's isn't strictly invasive, it's, a, it's an autoimmune reaction. It's a great it's topicality. So all three are examples of active surveillance as a strategy to generate accurate epidemiological data and thereby to do something about it. Lots more, obviously, in this issue um, and on the website adc.bmj.com. Please do listen to both this and uh, other podcasts, Spotlight, Archimedes, FNN, on any of the usual vehicles, Apple and Spotify, uh, for example. So it's goodbye from me and thank you as always to you, Rachel. Thanks, Nick. Goodbye from me too.